Shalom, this is Abigail Rock. Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. Today we begin Parashat Vayechi, the last parasha of Sefer Bereshit, the last parasha in the series of four parashot following the story of Yosef and his brothers. Chapter 47, verse 28. Vayechi Yaakov be'eretz Mitzrayim, shvaesre shana, vayehi yemei Yaakov shnei chayav, sheva shanim ve'arbaim u'me'at shana. And Yaakov lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, and Yaakov's lifetime was 147 years. The parasha that's about to describe Yaakov's death is called Parashat Vayechi. It is not the Vayeshev Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. We have here Vayechi. This is the first time in Yaakov's life that he actually lives. His entire life was suffering, was aggravation, was running away from someone, whether it be a, a story of Esav, later on Lavan, later on back in Canaan, the story of Shimon and Levi and Shechem, and the greatest aggravation of all was the story of Yosef. Now, it is all his suffering has come to an end, and this is the first time he really is living. Vayechi Yaakov Be'eretz Mitzrayim. Just an interesting point to make here. Parashat Vayechi is a parasha stuma. Just in order to understand what a parasha stuma is, I'd like to take a few minutes to talk about the division of the Torah into units. The division of Torah into chapters that we are familiar with today is a is not a division given by a Moshe Rabbeinu is not a Jewish division, it is a division that was probably developed by a man by the name Stephen Langton in the 12th century, who was an English cardinal of the Roman Catholic Church, and at some point he had developed this modern system of dividing the text into chapters. The traditional division of units in, of the Torah is the division into parshiot. Generally speaking, a parshia, not a parasha, a parshia is a short unit, and we can recognize the beginning and the ending of a parshia by the space. Generally, before each unit, there is a space, or the the continuation of the line is left empty. So the, the listeners might be familiar with this when you see a sefer column in a sefer Torah. Sometimes in the a column in the sefer Torah, you see a space. That space is, indicates that there is that we're about to begin a new unit, a new parshia. And we have two types of parshiot. We have Parshiot Ptuchot and Parshiot Stumot. A parasha Ptucha is a parasha that that ends on a on any line, and the next unit does not begin until the following line. So the last few words that end the parasha will be the last words on the line, and the next unit will begin on the following line. So the end of the line that ends the parasha will be left empty. That's a parasha ptucha. A parasha ptucha is a parasha that ends on a certain line, and the next unit does not begin until the following line. What's a parasha stuma? A parasha stuma is a unit that ends on a certain line, leaves a few spaces, and the next unit begins on the same line. The word stuma is, means sealed. It, the reason this is called a parasha stuma, for it is sealed on either directions of that line. The last few words of the previous unit, a few spaces, followed by the first word or two of the next unit. Generally, the space has to be nine, a space of nine letters, give, give or take. There are a few different opinions on this matter. Having said all of that, when we have a new parasha, 
a new parasha, with a few exceptions, will always begin on the following line. And one of the indicators of a new, a new parasha is always a parasha ptucha. A new parasha always begins with a new line. As I said, there are a few exceptions. One exception, for example, is Parashat Vayetzeh. Parashat Vayetzeh begins on the same line that Parashat Toledot ends with letters of space in between the ending verse of Parashat Toledot and the beginning of Parashat Vayetzeh. They both appear on the same line. That's an exception to the rule. Another uh, exception to the rule, with, which is even more interesting, is Parashat Vayechi. Not only does Parashat Vayechi begin on the same line that Parashat Vayigash ends, but here we don't even have a space in between them. It goes immediately from Parashat Vayigash, the last word of Parashat Vayigash ends and is followed immediately with no space, and Parashat Vayigashi follows in the last words of Parashat Vayigash. So if Parashat Vayigash ends with which is the last verse of Parashat Vayigash, immediately, with no space, we have Vayichi Yaakov Be'eret Mitzrayim, Parashat Vayichi. There are a few Midrashim that try to resolve this unique issue. Why does this begin with a Parashat Stumah? This is, this is not even a Parashat Stumah. This is not even a Parashat. There is no gap between the end of Parashat Vayigash and the beginning of Parashat Vayichi. So Rashi brings uh, the Midrash, which we're not going to bring here right now. The best answer, perhaps, is the answer provided by Rashbam. And Rashbam says the reason we do not have a stuma here, because in essence, this parasha, Parashat Vayichi that we're studying today should have begun with the last pasuk of the previous chapter. The first Pasuk of Parashat Vayechi should not have been, and Yaakov lived in the land of Mitzrayim. Rather, it should have been verse 27 in, ch in chapter 47, the last Pasuk of Parashat Vayigash. Vayeshev Yisrael be'eretz Mitzrayim be'eretz Goshen ve'yachzuva ve'yifu ve'yirbu me'od. And Am Yisrael had settled the land of, of Goshen in Mitzrayim, and they possessed it, and they had multiplied. Rashbam argues that this verse, talking about Am Yisrael's settling, is clearly a new topic. We had finished talking about Yosef's financial reform, Yosef's success as a leader in Egypt, and from there it, go, it go, continues to a new topic, which is talking about Am Yisrael settling in the land of Egypt and Yaakov living in the land of Egypt 17 years. This pasuk, and Am Yisrael had settled, that's a new topic. That should have been the opening verse to Parashat Vayichi. Why, therefore, does it, is, is it split? Does this pasuk that talks about Am Yisrael settling in the land of Egypt end Parashat Vayigash? The reason suggested by Rashbam, we not want to end Parashat Vayigash talking about Paro owning the land. I want to read from the language of Rashbam here. In essence, what Rashbam is saying, Parashat Vayichi really should have begun with the verse describing Am Yisrael settling. The reason it doesn't end with that is because the Kihilot, the communities, did not feel comfortable ending Parashat Vayigash, which describes Paro owning the land. It is against the theology of Am Yisrael, Lahashem Ha'aretz Umlo'ah. 
and we know that the ending of the unit is very significant, and that's why whenever a unit, for example, a haftara, ends on a negative uh, pasuk, we will add another pasuk, sometimes from a different book, sometimes from the from the same book, just a different a different verse from a different location, so that we do so that the community does not he end off with a negative idea. So here in Parashat Vayigash. We did not want to end on a ne theologically negative idea that Paro owns the land. Therefore, Misadrei HaParashiyot, those who had divided up the Parashot, had decided to take the, this Pasuk, which should have been the opening Pasuk, to the next unit and end with it, Parashat Vaigash, so that we end talking about Am Yisrael settling in the land as opposed to Paro owning all the lands. Back to Parashat Vayechid, chapter 47, verse 28. So we spoke about Yaakov, who lived in Mitzrayim for 17 years, from the time he had arrived at age 130, when he appeared in front of Paro, and Paro asks him, how old are you? And he tells him, I am 130 years old. 17 years have passed. We have lived in Mitzrayim 17 years. Vayikrevu yemei Yisrael lamut, vayikra livno li Yosef, vayomer lo, imna matzati chen beinecha, simna yadcha tachat yerechi, ve'asita imadi chesed ve'emet. Al na tikbereini b'Mitzrayim. And Yisrael was nearing his death, and he called upon his son Yosef, and he had told him, If I had find, found favor in your eyes, put your hand underneath my thigh, and do with me a kindness and truth. Please do not bury me in Egypt, and I shall rest with my fathers, and you shall carry me from Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I shall do as you have asked. And he said, Yaakov said to Yosef, Swear to me, and he had sworn to him, and Yisrael had bowed down at the head of the bed. Yaakov's death was nearing. When we see the word Vayikrivu and it was nearing, it doesn't mean that's going to happen the next day or two or even a week or two. It could be several months now. Rashbam points out whenever we ha whenever a person nears his death, that means he's aware that he is getting old and it is time to present his will to his sons. When we see the word Vayikrivu, generally will find it will be followed by a will. I just want to read out from the Rashbam. Whenever a person is about to give a will, it is always preceded by that word, and his death was near. And that's what a person does as his death. A person does not want to wait until it's too late, and therefore as a person is getting old, it is the right time for him to deal with his will. And the reason he approaches, of all the sons, he approaches Yosef, requesting Yosef to bury him, because he knows Yosef is the only one who will be granted permission to take Yaakov out of Mitzrayim and bury him in Eretz Yisrael. Now, why was it so important for Yaakov to be buried in Eretz Yisrael? I'd like to offer three different reasons. Number one, offered by the Midrash, and that is Yaakov is concerned that if he remains in Mitzrayim, we know the Egyptians worship the dead, and he's afraid that, as the father of Yosef, they will worship his body. Number two, it is a very natural desire for one to be to want to, to be buried in the burial place of his fathers. And thirdly, and I perhaps this is the most important reason, it is Yaakov wants his sons, and specifically Yosef, to know that their 
home is in Eretz Yisrael, that their connection to the, the, the family is in Eretz Yisrael, to remember the value of Eretz Yisrael, and to know that their dwelling here in Egypt is temporary. Their real home is back in Eretz Yisrael. And by Yaakov making this point of being buried in Eretz Yisrael, he is passing on this message that that is where we belong. And it is important that Yosef, of all people, is Yosef, who has been away from Canaan so many years and perhaps might view his homeland as of as Mitzrayim. Yaakov tells him, you, I want you to make sure I am buried there. Yaakov asks Yosef to do with him a chesed ve'emet, an act of kindness, chesed, and of truth. Ababanel suggests he's asking him both as his son and as the ruler of Egypt. As his son, this is an obligation of a son towards his father to fulfill his word. As a son, he's asking him for truth, for emet. And as the ruler of Egypt, who has the power to do this, he is asking for an act of kindness. Chesed ve'emet. Shadal explains this a little bit differently. He says the act of kindness is the fact that you are going to be burying me in Eretz Yisrael. The truth is that you are going to keep your word to do so. So it is chesed ve'emet. When Yaakov asks Yosef to make this commitment to him, he asks Yosef to put his hand underneath his thigh, underneath Yaakov's thigh. We've, there's only two places in Tanakh where we see this symbolic act. We've seen it also with Eved Avraham, when Avraham sends him to find a wife for Yitzchak. He also asks him to put his hand underneath his thigh. I won't go into all the various explanations of this, but the Pashtanim, Ibn Ezra and Radak, say the meaning of this is a way of showing that you are a servant to the person, putting your hand, that his leg is on top of you, that you serve him. And that is expressed by Simnayatcha Tachat Yerechi. So Yosef, in this symbolic action, is accepting upon himself to fulfill Yaakov's last wish, last desire to be buried in Canaan. Yaakov continues in verse 30, I will die, the Shachavtim Avotai, and carry me out of Egypt and bury me in my burial. And Yosef answers, I will do as you wish. And this is really where the conversation should have ended. But the Yaakov continues in verse 31, he asks him, swear to me. So to Yaakov, it is not enough that Yosef had given him his word. He also wants Yosef to swear to him. The oath is necessary because Yaakov knows that just because Yosef gave him his word, that is not enough to guarantee that he indeed will be buried in Canaan. The Egyptians might be offended by this request. The Egyptians might prevent Yosef from taking his father's body and burying him in Canaan. So just because he gave his father his word, he still is going to have to deal with the Egyptians. In order to avoid this, Yaakov makes Yosef make, take an oath, swear to him. And then, and, ya and indeed, when Yosef approaches Paro and asks him for permission to bury his father, he doesn't say, my father had asked me. He said, I had sworn to my father. Paro respects and takes seriously an oath. And that's why he gives Yosef permission to 
bury his father in Canaan. Had he just told Paro, I had given my father my word, that perhaps would not have been enough. And Yaakov is aware of the nature of the relationship between Yosef and Paro. And it would not be enough just to say that this was my request. But Paro will respect an oath that a son gives his dying father. And that's exactly what Yosef is going to tell Paro. I had sworn to my father, and Paro allows him. Pasuk ends, Vayishtachu Yisrael al Rosh Hamita. Yaakov bows at the head of the bed. He is either bowing in thanks to Yosef. He is thankful that Yosef had agreed to do this. Or other commentaries suggest that he is bowing to God, in gratitude to God. Yosef had agreed to his request. We continue in now chapter 48, verse 1. And it was after these matters that came to happen, and Yosef was told, Your father is sick, and Yosef took his two sons with him, Menashe and Ephraim. There's a beautiful Midrash on this Pasuk. The Midrash asks, why does Yosef need to be informed that his father is sick? Would we not expect Yosef to be spending every single possible moment with his father? Would we not expect Yosef to be aware of every single new condition of the father? That he needs to be told by a stranger that his father is sick? And the Midrash answers that this Pasuk tells us of the greatness of character of Yosef. Yosef does not want to spend too much time with Yaakov. As much as Yosef missed his father, as much as Yosef was yearning towards the reunion with his father, as much as Yosef would love to spend every possible moment with Yaakov, Yosef refrains from spending time with Yaakov because Yosef worries. If he's alone with his father, his father might ask him the following question. So tell me, Yosef, where exactly were you for the past 22 years? What happened to you? And in order to avoid that conversation, Yosef is not spending time with his father. And when we read, we really see that Midrash fits in very nicely with the Pshat, because in the Pshat, we do not have that conversation. We do not, we're lacking that conversation between Yaakov and Yosef as far as what had happened to Yosef. So Yosef is informed that his father is sick. He takes with him Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 2. Yaakov was told, Your son Yosef came to see you. And Yaakov strengthened himself. And he sits on the bed. God who had appeared to me in Luz, in the land of Canaan, had blessed me, and he had told me, I will make you fruitful, and you will multiply, and you will become into a large nation, and I will give this land to your descendants, as an eternal possession. Yaakov continues speaking to Yosef in verse 5, And now your two sons who have born in the land of Egypt up until I have come to you to Egypt, Ephraim and Menashe, they are to be considered mine like Reuven and Shimon. And your and other descendants that you have given birth after them, they will be included in their brother's nachala. And continuing verse seven, 
מתה עלי רחל בארץ כנען, בדרך בעוד כברת ארץ לבוא אפרתה, ואקברה שם בדרך אפרת, היא בית לחם. And when I was on the way home from Padan, my wife had died, my wife Rachel had died in the land of Canaan, when there was yet a kivrat Eretz, a certain distance, to come to Ephrata, and I had buried her on the, on the way to Ephrat, which is Beit Lachem. Okay, there's several questions that need to be addressed in this unit. Number one, why is the burial of Rachel in Beit Lechem mentioned here? Number two, what is this new status that Ephraim and Menashe are receiving, why are they receiving this new status, that they are going to be equivalent as Reuven and Shimon. Yosef is informed that his father is sick and he goes over with Menashe and Ephraim and Yaakov tells Yosef the following. He said, God who appeared to me in Luz, Luz is in Beit El, and, ya and Yaakov is clearly referring to the vision in Parashat Vayishlach, chapter 35, verse 9. God appeared to Yaakov in Padan Aram and blessed him. And the blessing that he's going to is very similar to what Yaakov is paraphrasing with very slight differences to Yosef. Verse 11, Become fruitful and multiply. Immediately after Yaakov quotes to Yosef the blessing that he, Yaakov, had received in Luz, in Beit El, by God, telling him that he will be fruitful and multiply, Yaakov goes on to continue to tell Yosef, and now your two sons that have been born in the land of Egypt, Ephraim and Menashe, will belong to me, like Reuven and Shimon, and any other children that you had given birth to will be included in the lot of their brothers. What is the connection between the blessing and Ephraim and Menashe becoming part of the family? According to Rashi, the blessing that Yaakov received in Luz was you, that you will become fruitful and multiply, which is plural. And he says, Rashi says, since that blessing, Yaakov only had one son. And that is not a fulfillment of the blessing, fruitful and multiply. Therefore, Yaakov says he understands that blessing to apply to grandchildren, and he chooses to apply it to the children of Yosef, Ephraim, and Menashe. Ibn Ezra explains a bit differently the connection between the vision and Luz and the fact that Yaakov is upgrading Ephraim and Menashe to level of tribes, and that is the point of the vision of Luz is to tell Yaakov that he owns the land. And since he owns the land, Ibn Ezra says, he has the right to give the land to whomever he desires, and he desires to give portions of the land to Ephraim and Menashe. Ibn Ezra focuses on the word achuzat olam, that is an eternal possession, that is an inheritance which one who receives it can do with that as he so pleases. And Yaakov now desires to give a portion of land to the sons of Yosef. Yaakov continues telling him, and beyond Ephraim and Menashe, your other sons that you had given birth to after Ephraim and Menashe, they will be included in the portions of their brothers. They won't be considered tribes, rather their portion of land will be within the portion of their older brothers. Now it's unclear whether or not Yosef indeed had other sons beyond Ephraim and Menashe. It's quite possible that Yosef did have other sons beyond Ephraim and Menashe. We just don't know their names because they did not have their own dynasty because as they were included in the tribe of Ephraim and Menashe. 
from the wording of the pasuk and the children that you had given birth after after Ephraim Menasheh, it seems from those words, the children that you had given birth to, that Yosef does have other children beyond Ephraim Menasheh. If he does have other children beyond Ephraim Menasheh, it is very interesting that to the, this meeting he chooses only to bring Ephraim and Menasheh and not the other children. A question I hope to relate to in the next class or two. Right after Ephraim and Menasheh receive their new upgraded position in the family of Yaakov, they are to perceive, perceive now as tribes. Yaakov continues to describe the death of Rachel in verse 7. V'ani b'vo'imi padan meta alai Rachel. Be'eret Knan, Baderech, Be'od Kivrat Eretz, Lavo Efrata, Va'ek Berasham, Be'derech Efrat, Hibet Lachem. And the question we asked regarding this Pasuk is why we described suddenly here the death of Rachel. So, a few answers. Rashi brings an answer that's not a shot answer, but it's a very beautiful answer, and that is that Yaakov had just asked Yosef in the previous unit to bury him in Eretz Kna'an. And now he's apologizing to Yosef. He says, I did not bury your mother in Ma'arat HaMachpelah. I didn't even take her all the way to Beit Lechem. I buried her on the way. And yet I am asking you to make great efforts. So according to Rashi, this story here describing Rachel's death is really connected to Yaakov's request of Yosef to bury him in Eretz Canaan. The problem with this Rashi is that had this been an apology of Yaakov, as Rashi said it says it is, an apology of Yaakov to Yosef, I did not bury your mother in Canaan, nonetheless I am asking you to bury me in Canaan, this conversation here should have followed immediately Yaakov's request of Yosef to bury him in Eretz Canaan. So we have to try to look for another possibility. Rasag, Rab Se'ad Yagaon, quoted by Ibn Ezra here, says, the story of Rachel's burial connects very nicely to the upgrade of Ephraim and Menashe. When Yaakov tells Yosef, Ephraim and Menashe are going to be to me like Reuven and Shimon. Yaakov says he received this revelation that his family is going to multiply. And yet, what happens right after that revelation? His wife dies, and therefore he's not going to have any more children. And that's why he understands that the pro that the promise that he will be multiply that he will multiply and become fruitful clearly does not apply to his own sons, but it applies to grandchildren. Abarbanel brings a very nice perush here. Yaakov is upgrading Ephraim and Menashe because the fact that Rachel did not receive a proper burial. In order to make up to Yosef that his mother did not receive a proper burial, therefore he is giving him this extra gift. He is upgrading his sons. And I want to end with a very beautiful idea suggested by my husband, Rabbi Yehuda Rak, and that is the death of Rachel is mentioned here within the context of, of Ephraim and Menasheh receiving a portion of land. Yosef's status being upgraded and him receiving a double portion of land in Eretz Yisrael through his sons is to make the point that Rachel and her sons are not to be rejected. They are part of that promised land that Yaakov had received. In the end of Parashat Miketz, when Yosef frames the brothers with the Gavia, we had discussed at length why does he frame them with the Gavia. And we had said there that it is possible that one of the reasons for selling Yosef, rejecting Yosef, is because of the chait of Rachel, she who had taken the trafim. And that's why Yosef wants to test his brothers with the Gavia, which is, a sor which is an object of sorcery.
so that he can check if the brothers still accuse Bnei Rachel of this sin of sorcery. And since there is a Hava Amina, there is room for, if the brothers might still be thinking that Rachel and her son should be rejected, Yaakov wants to make a point. Not only is Yosef not rejected, I am giving him a double portion. He's going to, he is very much deserves a portion in the land. And not only does, does Yosef deserve a portion of his land, his mother was buried in the land. Kadosh Baruch Hu arranged the way things worked out was that she was buried baderech in Eretz Yisrael. The point of him of Yaakov is telling her that she died is to tell him that she had died in Eretz Yisrael. They was coming from Padan Aram, and Rachel does, is not buried in Chotzart. She comes into Eretz Yisrael, and she is because she is worthy and because she does tshuva, she is buried in Eretz Yisrael. And perhaps maybe even one last point as far as why is this. Why do we have these two stories here? This real, maybe it's not even about Ephraim and Menashe, and it's not about Rachel. It's about Yosef. Yaakov knows that Yosef has an extremely prominent position in Mitzrayim. Yaakov knows that the majority of Yosef's life, Yosef had lived in Mitzrayim. Yosef, to a certain extent, is more connected to Mitzrayim. Yaakov wants to guarantee that Yosef comes back home. How does Yaakov guarantee that Yosef goes back home? He gives him an extra portion of land, not just for his name, for his children. He gives him a connection to the land, a connection through his future, through his children, and a connection through his past, through his mother. Through these two, through the future and the, both the past and the future, Yaakov is trying to create a an emotional bond between Yosef and Eretz Yisrael. And, in this, and there's no doubt that Yaakov had succeeded in this. For later on, we will see when we end the parasha, Yosef's last words to his brothers are, take me back home. When Am Yisrael come out of exile, you take my bones out of Mitzrayim and bring them home to Eretz Yisrael. With this, we end today's class. Shalom.